0: Chapter Four tonight, Ephesians Chapter Four. I'm going to tell you what we're going to do. All right, I'm going to lay it out for you. Uh, I got a I got a series that I want to finish up before I leave out on vacation. So on Sunday nights we've been doing the one another's, right? Well, I got two more one another's, but I only have one more Sunday night until I leave on vacation. So guess what? You're getting one of them tonight. And you're getting one of them on Sunday night. And then, of course, Sunday morning we'll be in 1 Corinthians again. Uh, But tonight, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4, highlighting verses 1 through 3. And uh, this is is not to quote the King James, uh, but uh, the one another for tonight is uh, just get along with one another. So you won't find it written exactly like that in the King James, but uh, we'll get there uh, as we go throughout the sermon tonight. Uh, Get along with one another. When you found Ephesians chapter 4, I invite you to stand out of respect for the reading of God's word. And let's read Ephesians chapter 4 verses 1 through 3 in unison together. Paul writes, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. With all lowliness and meekness, with longsuffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Get along with one another. Father, we love you. I pray that, Lord, as we look into your word tonight, God, that you would calm our hearts and focus our minds. May we be ready to hear and heed all that you have for us. Thank you for the freedom that we have to be here tonight. Thank you for the love of Christ that makes all this possible. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Aren't you glad for this book? Aren't you glad that God has given us this book to guide us? The reality is, and I don't mean this to be a slight towards you, But you and I would not be smart enough to make this thing work on our own. But praise God, we have great clarity on what God has designed the church to be and how God has designed the church to work. And that's a good thing because church matters. And so... Again, normally it's been a PM thing, Sunday PM thing, that we've been uh, looking at the one another's of Scripture. But tonight, uh, we're going to look at one and uh, help us get through this series. And what we're doing tonight, because I know some of you are thinking, get along with one another is not found in the Bible. <laughs> Well, what we're doing is we're kind of taking a number of scriptures that, that come at this idea that in Christ we need to get along with one another from another number of different angles. For instance, uh, Mark chapter 9 and verse 50, Jesus said, salt is good, but if the salt have lost its saltiness, wherewith uh, will you season it? He said, have salt in yourselves and be and have, what does it say, and have salt peace one with another Paul wrote this in Romans 12 in verse number 16 Romans chapter 12 in verse number 16 be of the same mind that means be harmonious One towards another. Mind not high things. Condescend them in a low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. So Paul tells us here, we need to have a spirit of harmony among one another. In Romans 15, in verse number 7, Paul says this, Wherefore, receive ye one another. That word receive has the idea of to receive in hospitality, in genuine friendship, that I invite you into my life. Hmm. First Peter chapter 3 and verse number 8. First Peter chapter 3. Finally, be of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren. Be pitiful, be courteous. So we can look from all of these different angles and, you know, we can sum it up a lot like Mama would say to her kids. We need to just get along with one another. And from Ephesians chapter 4, I want us to see a couple of different ways that God helps us to dwell in unity. How God has set us up for success in getting along with one another. Ephesians chapter 4, we'll begin in verse number 1. There Paul writes, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. So how does God set us up for success in getting along with one another, uh, being at peace with one another, being in harmony one with another, receiving one another in genuine friendship, having compassion and being of one mind one with another? How does God set us up for that? Well, number one, we see from Ephesians 4.1, he helps us to align our feet. He helps us to align our feet. Did you see what Paul said in verse number one? He told us that we need to walk worthy of the vocation. Vocation is it's just a word meaning your calling, what you're, what you're doing with yourself. Walk worthy of the calling that we're called to. Let me ask you, as Christians, what are we called to do? Very simply, we are called to do what? Follow Jesus, right? Very simple. I know it's a Wednesday night. Help me out. As Christians, we're called to do what? We are called to follow Jesus. Jesus we're called to follow Jesus if you're 10 and you've trusted Christ as your savior what are we called to do follow Jesus, follow Jesus. maybe you're 50 and you know the Lord is your savior what are we called to do Jesus. what if you're 500 follow Jesus. So whether we're 5, 10, 50, 100, 500, what are we called to do? We're called to follow Jesus. Matthew chapter 16, verse number 24, Jesus said this unto his disciples. That's what I want to be. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. We are called to follow Jesus. Moreover, we're not just called to follow him. We're called to be like him. And we're called to do this in both a personal and a corporate way. Now a funny thing happens when we choose to follow Jesus. No matter where we're coming from we end up find our feet pointed in the same direction. I mean I originally could have been walking over here but if I make the decision to follow Jesus now my feet are pointed this way. My feet could have been headed over here. But when I make the decision to follow Jesus, now my feet are pointed this way. I could have been walking straight back there. But if I make the decision to follow Jesus, guess what? Now my feet are pointed this way. And so we come from all walks of life. We come from all backgrounds. We come from all sorts of experiences. And yet, when we make the decision to follow Christ, what happens? We align our feet. We are all Heading in the same direction. Isn't that a beautiful thing? No matter where you're coming from, when you make the decision to follow Christ, you find that your feet are pointed in the same direction as those others who are following Christ. You know, no matter where you're coming from, no matter who you've been, when you make the decision to follow Christ, when you make the decision to become more like Christ, no matter who you've been, you find that we have more things in common. We have a shared direction. We share His priorities. We share His passions. We share His perspectives. We share His pursuits. What happens? When we walk worthy of the vocation, the calling, what are we called to? We are called to follow Jesus. And when you and I walk worthy of the calling that we are called to, what happens? We align our feet. You know, I tell people, people who are struggling for friendship and fellowship, Follow Jesus with other people. In other words, sometimes, sometimes people struggle. Because they'll come, to, they'll come to a church. And they'll want to know how they fit in. And, and how do we fit? And how do we? And how do we? Uh, and we try to make all these connections. When, when what I have found is the best way to make connections in a church is to just jump in and follow Jesus. And when we follow Jesus together, guess what we find? We connect in all of these ways we never imagined. But like when we come to church and we just, can I connect here? Can I connect here? Can I connect? What do we do? And people feel so disconnected. Stop trying to connect around and just start following Jesus. And so come to church jump in and just start serving God. And, and you're going to find that we connect in all these different ways. It's a beautiful thing. When we choose to follow Jesus together, you will find the essence of shared life that is harmonious fellowship. C.S. Lewis, a Christian writer of years gone by, he gave this explanation. He said, uh, we picture lovers face to face. So a husband and wife, they'll sit there and look googly-eyed at each other, right? Ooh ah. We picture lovers face to face. He said, but we picture friends side by side. Their eyes look ahead. Now these are his words, not mine. He says, this is why pathetic people who simply want friends can never make any. Because the very condition of having friends is that we want something besides friends. Those who have nothing can share nothing. And those who are going nowhere can have no fellow travelers. Boy, what makes it possible for us to get along with one another is that when we all are choosing to follow Jesus, we look up and we recognize our lives are all pointed in the same direction. And sometimes it's good if you're struggling to get along with somebody in the family of God. Maybe it's time to take a step back, get your eyes off one another and get your eyes back on Jesus. How is it that we can get along with one another? Well, the Lord has set it up so that we can align our feet. Amen? So number one, how is it that we can just get along with one another, that we can dwell in peace, that we can be harmonious of one mind? Well, we need to do what? We need to align our feet. Look what he says in verse number two, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering for bearing one another in love. So not only does God make it possible for us to align our feet, but then he calls us to alleviate our friction. I can hear the critic now. Okay, so we're all headed in the same direction. It's kind of like we're stuck together. I mean, that's great, I guess, but uh, that doesn't really help us have peace. Being stuck together doesn't help us live in harmony or develop friendship or be our one mind. I I mean, for instance, my son brought it up. I'm going to have a a four-and-a-half-hour car ride tomorrow with three kids. I'm going to guarantee you this. The four-and-a-half-hour car ride back is going to be a whole lot more peaceful than the four-and-a-half-hour car ride going. I'm, I have a half of mine to stick all three of them in that tiny Buick back seat and just see what happens. Put my snacks in the passenger seat, put the kids in the back, and roll. I mean, if you've ever taken kids on a trip, you know that just because you're all headed in the same direction doesn't mean you're all getting along, right? Right. Don't make me pull this car over. Whoo. But I love what Paul does here. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul follows up the reality of our shared direction by pointing out what ought to be our shared demeanor. He says we're to walk in lowliness. Lowliness simply means that we are to have a humble opinion of ourselves. He said we are to walk in meekness. Meekness is gentleness. Gentleness. It is strength under control. It's like the picture of a horse that's been broken by a rider. That horse is strong enough to to, to buck that man off and stomp his brains out and, and not raise his heart rate one bit. But a horse that's been broken can be controlled by really the smallest of children. That's meekness. And just because I can doesn't mean I do. It is strength under control. We're called to... You see what Paul does? Lowliness. A humble opinion of oneself. Meekness. Which is gentleness. Strength under control. He tells us we're to walk in long suffering. That means we're to have patient endurance. It's really... It's a slow burn, if you will. That yes, sometimes... I get a little hot under the collar, but by God's grace, it's a slow burn and not a rapid explosion. We're to walk in loneliness, in meekness, and long suffering. And then he puts in that last word, in forbearance. That means sometimes we're just simply supposed to put up with one another. But I mean, I think the biggest part's there at the end. With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another. What well, those last two words, church? and love. Seeking the highest good of another without expectation of return. You know, if we walked like that, not thinking highly of ourselves, strength under control patient endurance, willing to put up with one another in love. If we walked like that, do you know what would happen? The friction would melt away. Proverbs 13 and verse number 10, only by pride cometh contention, but with the well-advised is wisdom. In other words, a lot of the friction you and I face, it finds its home in P-R-I-D-E, and the problem is typically M-E. But when I start applying lowliness to that, and meekness to that, and long-suffering to that, and forbearance to that, and love to that, guess, guess what there's not room for anymore? There's no longer room for pride. You know, the Bible pra- places a high value on Humility. James 4, in verse number 6, there the Bible says, But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Proverbs 29, in verse number 23, the Bible says here, A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. Isaiah 57 in verse number 15. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy places with him that is of a contrite and humble spirit. To revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Our society places a great deal of value on self, self-interest, self-discovery, uh, self-identity, self-actualization. The Bible places a great emphasis on humility. Yeah. Sadly, many of us though probably, believe, probably genuinely believe that we are the most humble people we know. But humility, you know what allows, humility allows us to do a couple of things. Humility allows us to put self-interest aside and put the Savior's interest first. Humility allows us to put self-interest aside and put scriptural instruction first. And humility allows us, what does it allow us to do? It allows us to actually hear others. It allows us not to hold grudges against others. James 5 in verse number 9. James says, grudge not one against another, brethren. You know, sometimes we're not actively feuding. We're just grudging. Well, so and so last year, such and such happened. And I mean, I'm not mad anymore or anything, but I just haven't talked to him since then. You know, sometimes we don't actively feud. We just grudge. But in case we thought that was okay, grudge not one against another, brethren. We can't allow this stuff to dwell and to remain. We can't allow this to be a fabric of this this body. But humility allows us to hear others, and humility allows us not to hold grudges. It allows us to be able to work with others to resolve matters in a godly way. Boy, in this effort to get along with one another, God gives us some things. He, he gives us a calling that helps us to align our feet. He gives us a shared direction. Boy, He calls us to a, a, a shared demeanor that, that ought to alleviate our friction. Because only by pride comes contention. So we're called to do what? Number one, we're called to what? Align our feet. Number two, we're called to alleviate the friction. I want you to see verse number three. Paul writes this, endeavoring means working, laboring, enduring, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Align our feet. Alleviate our friction. Appreciate our faith. Appreciate our faith. You know, Paul has pointed out our shared direction. He's pointed out what ought to be our shared demeanor. And over all of this, he, he will point out here our shared doctrine. The unity of the Spirit is, is a possession that the Holy Spirit gives that we're called to attend to. We're called to guard it. We're called to, to guard over the, what, what is called the bond of peace. Now this word bond here is a very interesting word. Uh, It it is a word, uh, I'm sure Jeremy would tell us about it because he told us he was a nerd for words, but uh, I'll tell you about it tonight. So it's the Greek word that's used uh, to talk about like ligaments and tendons that actually hold the body together. Now, that's a very interesting picture because what are these things that we're supposed to attend to and guard that help to hold the body together? Now, how many of us recognize, through maybe personal experience of painful nature, that ligaments and tendons are very important things that help keep the body from becoming disjointed? Anybody been there one way or another? Yeah. Having replaced several ligaments in my knee, I can report that they are pretty important. It's a painful thing when the body becomes disjointed. By the way, spiritually speaking, it's a painful thing when the body becomes disjointed. It's an awful thing. It is an awful thing when the body of Christ becomes disjointed. And so our ligaments and our tendons, those things that hold us together, we've got to attend to them. We've got to guard them to keep them strong. Well... He says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And then, I love, now he's going to go and he's going to begin to detail what some of these bonds that, that help keep our peace are. Look at verse number four. He says, there is, help me church, there is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. What does it say? One Lord. Oh, come on, come on. We're going to start all over, all right? We're making good time tonight. We're going to have to start all over. Verse number five, there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Verse number six, there is one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. Do you see what we share? One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Paul clearly names here some of these ligaments and tendons that that are designed to keep the body of Christ strong together. And it is found in our shared faith. Now, I'm going to tell you, church, there are a lot of people out there who want to downplay doctrine. They want to tell you that, you know, the, the things about the Bible and this and that, and they're just not all that important, and we'll just link arms and sing Kumbaya, and it'll all be great and grand. I, culture may downplay doctrine. The modern church may downplay Doctrine. But this book does not downplay doctrine. Jesus does not downplay doctrine. In John chapter 8 and verse number 31, Jesus said to those Jews which believed on Him, if you continue singing similar songs, if you continue... uh, Hmm... If you continue what? In my word. Not in a feeling, not in an intent, not in music, not in this, not in that. If we continue in his word. You see, church, what really holds us together is not a greater understanding of the generations and demographics. It's not new and improved church programs. It's, it's not even tradition of old the way Grand Peppy used to do it. What holds us together is our shared faith. It is the Word of God. It is the truth that doesn't change. It is the truth that doesn't fail. Because here's the thing about God's Word. Here's the thing about truth. Here's the thing about our faith, about doctrine, that doctrine is greater than our differences. You know, we're going to disagree about a lot of things. We're going to disagree over sports teams. We're going to disagree over sweet and unsweet tea. We might vote differently on different things or for different people. Some of us may do outreach different ways. Some of us uh, may may enjoy different types of music. We, We may disagree on what types of music we like the most. We may disagree on what type of music they may have in heaven one day. We may disagree on a lot of things. We might disagree on how to handle conflict, how to handle pressure, how to do this, or how to do that. But at the end of the day, this, this is bigger than all of that. It is. By the way, if we ever elevate, who'd you vote for in the primary? This is bigger than that. Period. And as long as this is what it ought to be and where it ought to be, by the way, we're going to be a strong church. Doctrine is greater than our differences. By the way, doctrine is greater than than the changes that take place in us and around us. The truth of God's word is the only foundation that can stand the test of life and time. And so our doctrine, our hold to the word of God must be strong and it must be strong throughout the body. Because the things that don't change is what holds us together when the world around us does. The things that don't change is what holds us together when the differences between us want to pull us apart. The only Way to build the body is with a strong love for the word of God. By the way, what is our one another for the night? It is, um, put the title screen back up if you would. It is get along with one another, right? Conglomeration of a bunch of different things. Psalm 119, 165. Look at this. Great peace have they which what? Love thy law and nothing shall offend them. Hold on. Hold on. What, what's the first part? Great peace have they that what? Love thy law. What's the second part? And nothing shall what? Nothing shall offend them. What a beautiful thought for a church. if our love for this book is what it ought to be, then we can get through just about anything. People say, well, the gospel, the word of God, it, it doesn't sell anymore. That's not what... I don't care about that. Because the gospel and the word of God is still the only thing that can save and sanctify. In church, if we're going to be a church that has peace one with another, that is harmonious one with another, that is of one mind, that is compassionate towards one another, that genuinely receives one another as friends, we've got to appreciate our faith. So what are we going to do, church? Number one, we're going to align our feet. Hey, every one of us is called to do what? Follow Jesus. We're going to find we're all going in the same direction. As we're headed in the same direction, what are we going to do? Number two, we're going to alleviate the friction because we're going to walk in lowliness and meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. Finally, appreciate our faith. I praise the Lord for the camaraderie that we have here at Harvest. I truly believe this. I truly believe that by and large, for the most part, we are a church that likes one another. And I say it that way because sometimes it's harder to like one another than love one another. Right? I mean, let's let's be honest. I genuinely believe, by and large, that we are a church who like and love one another. And I praise the Lord for that. Because I have been in some churches where that's not the case. I've been been in some churches where it's an hour and a half business meeting because literally they can't agree over what brand of vacuum cleaner to buy. Oh, no, not amen. No, no, not amen. Oh, my. Yeah, oh, my. Oh, my. Oh, my. (laughs) Oh, <laughs> but I praise the Lord that's not the spirit of this place I genuinely believe that by and large we are a church who like one another but we're not a perfect church we're a church made up of imperfect people and from time to time we're going to rub one another the wrong way What we do when that happens is so important. Align our feet. Alleviate the friction. Appreciate the faith. And I pray that God gives us, grants us His grace to continue to be a church know what it means to truly get along with one another. Father,